Greetings to all our listeners and welcome to today's episode of Nigeria. Good people, great nation. We are reaching you from the Global Chat Radio Studio, broadcasting from Tuat Hill in Western Australia. So far, we've been discussing pre-colonial Nigeria, and in our last episode, we started to talk about the colonization. Uh, we started to talk about slavery and colonization of Nigeria. So we take it from there, and we start with slavery in Nigeria. As all of us were witness, uh, witnesses to the events of the year 2020, the year went down in history as one of the most significant years when anti-racism protests resonated across the world after George Floyd was killed in police custody in Minneapolis, USA. The year witnessed some major uprising around the world with people of color organized majorly as the Black Lives Matter movement, protesting and pulling down statutes and every item that symbolized slavery. We saw this in Oxford regarding the Cecil Rhodes statue, in Bristol, England with the Edward Colston statue, and in Richmond, Virginia with the Jefferson Davis statue. Also, Christopher Columbus statue was removed from St. Louis Park in the U.S. state of Minnesota. This uproar might suggest to the casual onlooker that slavery was the creation of Europeans. The evidence from Nigeria suggests otherwise. The trade in slaves in the space currently called Nigeria predates the arrival of the Europeans. We have it that the Bornu Empire in the eastern part of the Niger took an active part in the trans-Saharan slave trade for hundreds of years before the Europeans arrived at the Bite of Benin. But what the Europeans did was to feed the trade with steroids, increasing its intensity and shifting the focus from the north of the country to the south. After the Europeans had settled in the Gulf of Guinea, the trans-Saharan trade, slave trade became less important as the trans-Saharan slave trade over sorry, as a transatlantic slave trade overtook it in volume. From our last episode, we will remember that the first Europeans to set foot on the shores of Nigeria were the Portuguese. That was in the 1470s. By 1471, Portuguese ships, they have reconnaissanced the western African coast, south as far as the Niger Delta. Records have it that as early as 1481, emissaries from the King of Portugal visited the court of the Oba of Benin. For a time, Portugal and Benin maintained close relations, with Portuguese soldiers aiding Benin in its expansionist wars. Trade between Benin and Portugal through the Guato port was initially in peppers and ivory then increasingly in slaves, which, were, which the Oba offered in exchange for coral beads, textile imports, tools, and weapons. Bini profited from his close ties with the Portuguese and exploited the firearms bought from them to tighten his hold on the lower Niger area. It is often said that Portugal's lasting legacy for Nigeria was its initiation of the transatlantic slave trade, 
Soon, other Europeans, seeing how, lucra how lucrative that trade was, were soon to supplant Portugal. The Dutch took over Portuguese trading stations on the coast. The French and English competition later undermined the Dutch position. What happened was by the dawn of the 18th century, Britain has become the dominant trade partner in slaves. Though the slave ports from Lagos to Calabar were still being visited by ships of Denmark, Sweden, and the North American colonies. Those, treated as, those treated, uh, traded as slaves then were criminals and prisoners of war. Of course, soon it was realized that it was more profitable to sell your enemy rather than simply kill him. According to Toyin Falola, a Nigerian professor of African studies at the University of Texas, the organization of the slave trade was structured to have the Europeans stay along the coastlines, relying on African middlemen and merchants to bring the slaves to them. The Europeans couldn't have gone into the interior to get the slaves. Malaria infestation of the rainforest saw to it that the Europeans remained at the coast. That remained true until a drug was discovered, quinine, to cope and uh, treat malaria. The point being made is that as guilty as the Europeans were for ferrying more than 3.5 million slaves from Nigeria to the Americas, they did it with the active connivance of the warring men of Nigeria. Most of these slaves were Igbo and Yoruba, with significant concentrations of Ibibio and other ethnic groups. In the 18th century, two polities, the Oyo and the Aru Confederacies, were responsible for most of the slaves exported from Nigeria. The Aru Confederacy continued to export slaves through up to the 1830s. With the collapse of Oyo in the 1820s, the Yoruba states descended into civil wars, and this further foiled the trade in slaves. Uh, we take a music break here and listen to King Sonny Ade. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back from that music break. I hope you enjoyed the song of King Sonny Ade, the foremost juju musician in Nigeria. Just for our information, that piece was released in 1974. And we just put it there so that we can just enjoy that. So, uh, in furtherance of our discussion on slave trade in Nigeria, and the point being made is that it was not just the only the Europeans that profited from the trade that there were active participants that are uh, that were Nigerians. So we'll be talking about some notable Nigerian slave traders. And here we talk about Efunshita Aniwura, uh, a lady that lived between the 1790s and 1874. She had the title of being the second Iyalude of Ibadan land. She was one of the preeminent slave traders in the 19th century in the city of Ibadan. She was revered as a successful merchant and trader. Her impact encompassed the political, military, economic, and religious spheres of Ibadan. She was famous for being arguably the most powerful and certainly one of the wealthiest Yoruba women that ever lived. She had compounds full of slaves at any particular point in time, and she has been described by historians 
as an authoritarian leader who often utilized capital punishment on erring slaves. This has been attributed to the psychological breakdown due to the death of her only daughter and her inability to procreate afterwards. What we know is that her reign of terror actually ended up in her, de in, in her being, uh, being banished from the city and eventually led to her death. There was another person, another Nigerian uh, from the Igbo ethnic group, Bani Ogogo Oriako. He was from southeastern Nigeria. He was also a notable supplier of slaves. He, in his case, had agents who actively go into the interland to capture people as slaves from different places and then uh, brought them to him. He was selling his slaves through the ports of Calabar and Borne in the south of what is today known as Nigeria. Another notable person was Efunroye Tinubu. For many of our listeners, if you visit the city of Lagos, there at the center of Lagos Island, downtown Lagos, you find the Tinumbu Square, a popular place for a lot of tourists as well as traders in that city. That square is named after Efunro Yetinumbu, who lived between 1810 and 1887. She was a politically significant figure in Nigerian history because of her role as a powerful female aristocrat and slave trader in pre-colonial as well as colonial Nigeria. She was in Lagos and reigned during, uh, and was very influential during the reigns of Oba Adele, Uluwole, Akitoye, and Dusumu. That was a long life, reign, uh, being powerful through the reign of four major kings. Though Oba Akitoye signed a treaty with Britain at lowering slave trade, Tinubu subverted that treaty and secretly traded slaves for guns with Brazilians and Portuguese traders. Also, also of note was Osho de Takba. He, in his case, was also a chief within the uh, Obakusoko uh, chieftaincy and was one of the most powerful people in that Obas court. As a little boy, he actually was loaded as a slave onto a Portuguese uh, ship, but was released from slavery. And thereafter, he, saw, he got position of influence and became a slave trader himself. But we do know that he was able to transition from slavery in latter part of his years to expanding his business in palm oil, cutting ivory. Another person that we would talk about is Antera Duke, and many of us would have heard of Governor Duke of Cross River State. He comes from this, uh, that's Donald Duke of Cross River State. He comes from this lineage. He was an 18th century African slave dealer and an ethnic chief, ethnic chief from Calabar in eastern Nigeria. His diary, written in Nigerian Pidgin English, was discovered in Scotland and published. This diary records his interactions with British merchants to whom he sold slaves. So you can Google it and you can find his diary called the Diary of Antera Duke. And he lived between 1735 and 1809. There are a couple of other people we can mention, but we cannot live without mentioning Sheriki Williams Abbas. Sheriki is a title. He was also a renowned uh, slave merchant during the 19th century and former paramount ruler of Badagri. He also was initially a slave, sold into slavery in Brazil, 
lived in Brazil for certain years, then returned back from Brazil to Lagos, and he also entered into the slave trade business. He succeeded in the slave trade business while in Badagri, and soon became the first person to own a lorry called Sherry Kifford. So we take another music break, and we continue talking about colonial Nigeria thereafter. Identity. 
Uh, welcome back, listeners. That was Chief Dr. Oliver de Kock and his organic super sound of Africa. That music piece you listened to was released in 1980. And Chief Oliver de Kock goes around with full-grown beards that were luxuriously maintained. He just had that identity, so it's in line with his funny, funny identity music. But going ahead with our program, let's talk about how Nigeria got colonized. One would have thought that the British just uh, landed in Nigeria one day and in one action, one swift action, the whole nation space was colonized. That wasn't the case. The colonization of Nigeria was sequential and was in bits. Starting with Lagos, the British moved both eastward and northwards, bringing into governance disparate communities. And in doing so, let's talk about the Oil River Protectorate. So the trade uh, started first in different items and later moved to slave trade. But the British Parliament outlawed slave trade, abolished it in 1807. And abolishment of the trade, uh, slave trade by Parliament did not bring into an end immediately or suddenly the slaving trade. It continued for several years thereafter. However, Britain was determined to enforce the abolishment and several slave ships were intercepted on, in, on the Atlantic and on their way to America with slaves of African descent. These intercepted, slaves, uh, intercepted ships were rerouted to Sierra Leone. With this change in commerce, the wise men of the Niger Delta were very quick to diversify. They looked inwards and adapted themselves to offering palm oil as an alternative export to slaves. As at that time, Britain's industrial revolution was just taking shape, and there was a growing demand for vegetable oils as lubricants and for the manufacture of soap. Up came the enterprising residents of the Niger Delta. Supported with the numerous creeks and waterways, they started acting as middlemen between the Europeans on the coast and the palm oil producers in the interland. We had said that because Nigeria, because the southern Nigeria was a rainforest and there was infestation of mosquitoes, which, brings, uh, which carries the malaria parasite, the Europeans were initially unable to delve much further into the rainforest. So they relied on the coastal dwellers uh, to go into the interior and bring the produce to the coast, just like they did for, slavery, uh, for slaves, they did for palm oil. King Jaja of Okobo, who lived between 1821 and 1891, was a reputable merchant prince and the founder of the Okobo city-state in the area that is now the river states of Nigeria. King Jaja blocked the access of British merchants to the interior and monopolized the trade in palm oil. Not only did he do that, he started taxing British traders in the region. That actually acted as a sort of annoyance to the British uh, traders and eventually got to the British government and the British government did not take that lightly. At the height of King Jaja's power, he was actually shipping palm oil directly to Liverpool, independent of British middlemen. The British didn't like that. Jaja was subsequently arrested and exiled and the Oil Rivers Protectorate was established by Britain in 1885. It was subsequently renamed the Niger Coast Protectorate in 1893, 
and in 1900 was joined to the Nigerian territories administered by the British government. Its name derived from the palm oil that was the chief product of the area. Following the Niger, uh, the oil protectorate was also the Lagos protectorate. In this case, Lagos was a cosmopolitan city with a lot of uh, migrants or former slaves that were taken to Sierra Leone, that were taken to Brazil and other areas, having returned to that city. So the city was thriving, and a lot of residents there were actively still engaged in slave trade. They could not give that up easily, as the Niger Delta residents did. But in 1841, Oba Akintoye ascended the throne of Lagos, and he attempted to ban slave trading. Local merchants strongly opposed that move and deposed him, and he was exiled. Upon his being exiled, his brother Akintoye was installed. Uh, uh, sorry, his brother Kosoko was installed as Oba. But while in Europe, Akintoye met with British authorities who helped to reinstate him as Oba in 1851. But this did not come up until the British bombarded the port of Lagos. But as the case was, uh, people normally say, even in Freetown, there's no free lunch. The British did not do that just because they were interested in installing Akintoye, but because they had a larger goal. Lagos was eventually annexed on 6 August 1861 under the threat of force. And the people were made to sign the Treaty of Secession, and it was declared a British colony on 5th of April 1862. The annexation of southern Nigeria followed similar patterns. There were Yoruba wars that had been going on for years, the popularly known as the Kiriji War. Kiriji, just as it sound, was from the sound of the ding guns, of the guns that were being used in that war. And it was uh, the Yoruba people revolting against the people of Ibadan's desire to rule over other towns in Yoruba country following the decline of Oyo Empire. In 1877, a trade war broke out between Ibadan and both Egba Alake, that's Abel Kuta and Ijebu. Further to the east, the Ekiti and Ijesha, they also revolted against Ibadan, ruling them in 1878. And another war broke out called the Jalumi War. At the same time, at the Battle of Ikirun was taking place, in 1878 in the northeast of present-day Oshun state of Nigeria. So what happened was that Ibadan was fighting in many different fronts, both in, in its north, in the east, in the south. Ibadan people were fighting different wars, and all the wars were just the fact that the other Yoruba city-states were not ready to accede to Ibadan, colonizing or becoming their uh, benefactor. The sporadic fighting in Ibadan continued for the next 16 years. And just as we mentioned that Lagos was already a cosmopolitan city with many returnees there from uh, many slaves that had returned from their slavery taking place there. So many of them that come from Brazil are called the Saru merchants. And they were giving the Ekiti people uh, breech-loading rifles with which they are fighting the Ibadan, and that war continued to be in place for long. The British government in Lagos at that time was subordinate to the British government in Accra, 
and it was instructed to stay out of the conflict, despite the damage it was doing to trade, and attempts to mediate by the Saru merchants and by the Fulani emirs were rejected. But because of the war going on in Interland, the movement of goods and services, the movement of trade items, was severely uh, disrupted. And over time, trade came to a standstill. And eventually, the British government could have no other option than to intervene. So what did they do? They sent Samuel Johnson, a Yoruba, uh, a Yoruba member of the priesthood, as well as Charles Phillips of the Church Mission Society, to go into the interland and arrange a ceasefire and get a treaty. But at the same time, the French were incubbing into Nigeria through Daomi. We do realize that Nigeria currently happens to be the only Anglophone country in the area that is surrounded by four Francophone countries. It was because the French had colonized all the nation states around Nigeria. And the British immediately saw that if the French uh, continued expansion is not checked, the French may also take over the British territory in Nigeria. So in 1890, the British established an outpost in Ilaro and put Ilaro under the protection of the British Queen thereafter. In 1892, the British attacked Ijebu. And in 1893, all the warring uh, Yoruba states, having seen what happened to Ijebu, which was trying to hold on from British intervention, decided that enough of the war is enough and they started signing treaties. Oyo was bombarded in 1894 and Ilorin was captured in 1897. With all these wars that the British were able, through superior firepower, to bring to an end, colonial control was firmly established in southern Nigeria. The colony of Lagos and Protectorate eventually were incorporated into Southern Nigerian Protectorate in February 1906. That was talking about the Southern Protectorate, but we also have the Northern Nigeria Protectorate. Remember that we talked about the wave of colonization into Nigeria. We've talked about the influence of the Fulani from the north, northern, not the northeastern part of Nigeria. And when the Fulani came, we talked about the Utmandan Fodio Jihad and Co. So initially, the British involvement in northern Nigeria was predominantly trade-related and revolved around the expansion of the Royal Niger Company. Frederick Lugard, who had just served in Hong Kong, was sent back to Nigeria, and he established the Protectorate of Northern Nigeria in Kogi, in January 1897. The basis of that colony was because at the Treaty of Berlin in 1885, Northern Nigeria and the entire Nigerian area was granted to Britain because of its protectorate in Southern Nigeria. But the Northerners did not take that easily. Hostilities soon developed between the Emirates of Kaba, Kotangura, and Ilori, and the British uh, authorities. So the British mobilized his troops there and in February 1903, Kano was captured. Following that, Shokoto and much of the caliphate soon fall into place. Lagos remained the capital in the south and Zungeru 
was established at the new capital of the north. However, in Jan on January 1, 1914, following the recommendation of Sir Frederick Lugard, the two protectorates of the south and the north were, were amalgamated to form the colony and protectorate of Nigeria under a single governor general resident in Lagos. With that amalgamation, Nigeria came in, into existence as a country on January 1914. We take another music break and we continue our discussion thereafter.
Yeah, that was Emperor Pick Peters in his 1975 song, Omo Dede. And unfortunately, that might be the only release or the only music uh, piece that Emperor Pick Peters became known or popular for. But getting back to our show, we just talked about the amalgamation of the Northern and the Southern Protectorate of Nigeria to form the country that is now known as Nigeria in 1914. People have asked the question, why the name Nigeria? Well, Nigeria is the name given to that nation space by Flora Shaw, the wife of Frederick Lord Lugard. Uh, and the name was derived from the fact that the Niger River, which flows from the Futajalon Mountain and then gets into the Atlantic through the Niger Delta, uh, actually flows through Nigeria and covers the larger space of Nigeria. And the Nigeria name was derived from just saying Niger area, the area of the river Niger. And there have been ongoing debate on whether the nation should continue bearing that name or whether the nation should change the name to Wazobia or to any other name. But as it is, as of today, Nigeria is still known as Nigeria. As we come to the end of today's show, we will not do justice without talking about some notable, some notable slaves that returned back to Nigeria after their period of captivity in foreign land. So we'll talk a little bit about the return of the slaves. Following the annexation of Lagos, runaway slaves from the interior flocked to the burgeoning co colony, seeking freedom and protection under the new administration. Liberated Africans, those whose slave ships had been intercepted by the British Royal Navy and rerouted to Sierra Leone, also migrated to the town. There they formed a community of Christian African elites called the Saros. In the second half of the 19th century, Lagos also became the primary destination for African emigrants from Bahia, who after years of enslavement in Brazil, bought their freedom and boarded ships bound for the African coast. Thousands of formerly enslaved Africans and their descendants repatriated to Lagos from Salvador da Bahia in Brazil over the course of the century. We are going to mention a few of them, probably one of the most notable being Bishop Ajayi Crowder. Samuel Ajayi Crowder was a Yoruba linguist, a Nigerian clergyman, and celebrated first African Anglican Bishop of West Africa. He was born in Ushogun, in what is now known as Lanlate in Oyo State, Nigeria. And this, I don't want us to miss the point, he and his family were captured by Fulani slave raiders when he was about 12 years old. Crowder was freed from slavery at a coastal port by the Royal Navy and resettled in Sierra Leone. At the important point of talking about how he was captured is the ongoing discussion about Fulani headsmen and the uh, hostage taking that is going on in current day Nigeria. And if people are students of history wants to know about the Fulani 
invasion in Nigeria. Here we have it. That even as far back as the 19th century, we had Bishop Ajayi Crowder being captured by Fulani slave raiders. In any case, getting back to Bishop Ajayi Crowder, while in Sri alone, he adopted the English name Samuel Crowder and began, began his education in English. He studied languages. He later received a doctoral degree from Oxford University in Britain. He prepared the Yoruba grammar and translation of the Anglican Book of Common Prayers into Yoruba. And he also worked on the Yoruba version of the Bible, as well as other language projects. So the English Bible, the King James Version, was actually translated into Yoruba by Bishop Ajayi Crowder. He, act, he migrated back to Nigeria after several years in Lagos and in Abel Okuta and similar southern states. He moved up to Lokoja, where he eventually died. There was another favorite family, the family of both the Darocha. Uh, we have the father, Joa Eson and Candido Darocha. Joa Eson was a Yoruba slave that was sent to Brazil. There, he married a Brazilian and gave birth to his son, Candido. And he and his wife eventually were able to uh, migrate back to Lagos, where he built the famous water house in the Brazilian quarter of Lagos. When he died, his son, Candido, inherited the house, became a popular Nigerian businessman and land owner, and was the proprietor of the Bonanza Hotel in Lagos. There was another case of a lady, Iwusu, who was a freed Yoruba emigrant also from Bayer. Mm -hmm. The Yoruba Wars dispersed Ewusu and her family from their town in the interior. As a young girl, she was captured and sold into slavery in Brazil. In 1843, she emigrated back to Lagos. Story has it that when she was captured and sold into slavery, the family was separated. Some were sold and went to Brazil. Some went to Sri Leone and other places uh, in the Americans. But gradually, the family came together, and it was said that when she got reunited with her sister, that they had been separated for almost two decades. There was tears and there was la uh, laughter over there. In any case, the point being made, and that I, uh, that I do not want to be lost to our listeners, is that slavery, one, preceded the European arrival on the shores of Nigeria. Two, slavery was a joint work or joint business between the Europeans and the Nigerians that occupied the nation's space. And three, slavery did a lot of damage to people, especially one, what if anybody is holding the Europeans for anything? It was because of the intensity at which the slavery was developed, not because they were the sole prosecutor of slavery. With that, we come to the end of our program today. Our next session will be talking about Nigeria at independence. Uh, the essence of our going into history is to present the nation state to our listeners. And the idea is that if we understand where a people are coming from, a set of people where they are coming from, it will be easier for us to understand where they are and the, the circumstances and the situations that are challenging the country as we speak. So till next week when we get back on this program, we wish you well and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.